Hello and welcome to Sunflower Sutras. Today we have a special treat. Episode 2 gets an interview. That's right. We're going to be interviewing local poet Matt Spezia. But first, as is, well, will be the tradition of this ongoing series, A Taste of the Classics, Stanzas by Aldous Huxley. Thought is an unseen net wherein our mind is taken and vainly struggles to be free. Words that should lose our spirit but do bind few fetters on our hoped-for liberty. An action bears us onward like a stream, past fabulous shores scarce seen in our swift course. Glorious, and yet its headlong currents sing backwaters of some nobler, purer force. There are slow curves, more subtle, far than thought, that stoop to carry the grace of a girl's breasts and hanging flowers so exquisitely wrought in airy metal that they seem possessed of souls. And there are distant hills that lift the shoulder of a goddess onward towards the light. The arrowy trees, sudden and sharp and swift, piercing the spirit deeply with delight. Would I might make these miracles my own, like a pure angel thinking color and form, hardening to rage in a flame of chiseled stone, spilling my love like sunlight, golden and warm, on noonday flowers speaking of songs of birds, among the branches whispering the fall of rain, beyond all thought, past action and past words, I would live in beauty, free from self and pain. And with us today, we have a local treat. We have slam poet extraordinaire, Matt Spezia. What's up, dear lovely souls? It's always a pleasure to come on and do local stuff. And with Tara and Ryan today, um, it's really an exciting time to get to do this interview. Yeah. <laughs> and you just got back from Jamaica, so... <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun four-day experience. Uh, went out there to film my mentor, Black Ice's wedding. Um, so I became an international videographer. I got to perform a little bit out there. And now I'm back in the States and immediately starting working again. <laughs> Isn't that how it always is for you? Perpetually, but it's all team effort. I don't do any of this alone. So thank both of you for having me on today. Yes, and we're very honored to have you on as well. And for people who aren't familiar, would you care to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Like I said, my name is Matt Spezia. Um, you can find my new project, Babylon the Album, being released by CX1 and e and &E Entertainment at mattspeziamusic.com. That's Matt, S-P-E-Z-I-A, music.com. Um, I'm a three-time national award-winning poet. Um, I've been doing rhythm-assisted poetry for about four years now. It started right here in Topeka, Kansas. I'm initially from Leavenworth, Kansas, and it's really exploded thanks to this amazing community around here, and I'm getting to do some incredible things and setting up touring the nation. I just got signed to a decade-long deal, wow. and some really incredible stuff has happened because of this community. Wow. You are the busiest person I know. I know I've joked about this before, but I don't know when you find time to sleep. It is a lot of caffeine. I'm trying to get Monster to sponsor me. 
Like, monster, I take so many pictures on Snapchat with your cans. Imagine how hard I'd be shilling if you were paying me. <laughs> so let's get to the meat of the matter. Let's talk about your artwork. Yeah, so um, my goal has always been to not only inspire self-betterment, but social consciousness as well. I feel like challenging the status quo is one of the most important things that musicians have to do. And when you're handed a microphone, it's absolutely a responsibility you have. And even if you offend somebody or, you know, they're like, oh man, I didn't like that, you still made them think. So you have to achieve your, you know, objective that way. And I really think that I've put a lot of that into my music, and especially on this new project, Babylon. Um, I mean, it's an addressment of how our society is. It's it's the obsession with sex, drugs, and money. It's it's everything that I think is just wrong with not only mu- the music industry as a whole, but our society, and it's a direct challenge to that. I've heard a lot of your pieces, and I've heard them grow as you've been growing as an artist. And I've noticed that you've taken a lot of social justice and primarily race relations stuff in account into your material. And we're going to see a lot of that in Babylon, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, in this country, we are still suffering from just abhorrent race relations. And despite the protests that have been going on since the 60s, it really hasn't gotten much better. It's just been less defined. It's more systematic now than it's ever been. So I feel like using the position that inherently comes with being white in this country to address that is so vitally important because they're not listening to the minorities. So you have to use the position of unfortunate privilege to make them listen. And I think I'm really, really trying to do that. And if I can make one person change, then that's a conversation they'll have with someone and it just snowballs from there. Um, Addressing societal change in Babylon is one of my main issues. And if we can't start with music, then it really just won't. Do you have a particular track on Babylon that really comes to mind with this? Um, If we're talking about race relations in specific, I would say perpetuality really comes to mind. Um, It really addresses the fact that, you know, it takes all of us. It's going to take the people that in generally are not associated with racial equality in America starting to speak up, starting to stand up for people that have been blatantly ignored. And it's, it's really a call-out piece that this is the reality of the situation. You may not want to hear it, and it may hurt you to hear it, but the truth is often uncomfortable, and that's what that piece talks about. Do you feel like, as a, a white man, that that's like your responsibility with that? Power does not change willingly. And unfortunately, in this country, white people still have such an incredible advantage that to bring equality to actually happen you have to use that position to address it. They're not listening to minorities. They're, you know, police are still killing black people for having their hands up on a steering wheel and telling them they have a gun in the car. They're getting shot dead. They're killing 13-year-olds in parks, and they're just blatantly not listening. So you have to use that position of privilege to make them listen. So what else, theme-wise, what else do you say encompasses the Spija brand? Um, So yeah, along with you know, societal change and challenging the status quo, a lot of it is about self-confidence and self-betterment. I'm always pushing people to, you know, be a better version of themselves. No matter how well your life is doing, you could always be doing something more. You could always be working harder and showing people that even if you come from, you know, a position of disadvantage trying to get into an industry, you know, you don't have the money to invest in yourself, you can outwork talent and resources. And there's a song on Babylon called Just that it's like, don't, call me just something that you can aim to be so much more than that you can break these 
conceptions about you simply through work ethic and dedication. Do you see the way you are now as an artist reflected in Babylon? Like, you've expanded. You've gone from being a local personnel to being a national personnel. Do you feel like this is definitely a reflection of of that expansion? Um, yeah, I would say so. On my first album, Poetry in Motion, it was really um, self-reflective and trying to find out who I was. And then that had quite a bit of success, again, thanks to the local community and the team effort. Then I made Dual Psychosis, which was the addressment between what it means to be an artist and what I wanted personally in my life. And from that, the national presence was really born. And I'm so incredibly grateful for that. And now I think the Babylon addresses a lot of national issues and some overall concepts of let's make society as a whole better through a multitude of aspects. I know you spent a considerable amount of time in Chicago. And has that rubbed off? I know it's rubbed off business-wise for you. Is it rubbing off on you on an artistic sense too? Because Chicago has quite the artistic scene going on for it. Yeah, so um, in 2017, I was really blessed to do a lot of work with the POET organization up in Chicago and a whole bunch of other organizations, Addy, Solace Souls, uh, Wordsmith, Well Spoken, just, and if I'm forgetting anybody, y'all know it's all love, but I was able to spend over a month there working last year and it definitely has the chicago style is one that was born out of step music and it's really translated into the poetry so listening to upcoming chicago hip-hop like da smart l1 um, day one out there uh, kells people like that um, and listening to the poetry side of things from uh, people like hood raised black ice um, people like that really see and geronimo speaks was another huge influence from chicago Seeing that influence, I think, really has affected how I write. It's become a little bit more lyrical, a little bit more musical, seeing how they've incorporated traditional step music into their poetry. See, now that brings me to my next question. And this is something that I see as kind of a divisive topic in the poetry community. The difference between being a writer and or a performer. Now, what are you? I know you're a mutation of many different artistic things. Do you see yourself primarily as a performer, a musician, a poet, all of them, a writer? Like, what do you see yourself as? And what do you see the majority of other slam poets as? Or do you want to step away from that term? No, slam poet is definitely something I'm very proud of. Um, It's where I cut my teeth was on slam stages. Um, It really brought me onto the national circuit. I could not be more grateful for my slam experience. But I see myself really as just, man, I do a lot anymore, performing, promoting, marketing. Um, I just got hired on to be an executive editor and producer for a movie coming out from Atlantic and DJ Butterrock called A Life of a DJ. So, I mean, I'm doing a lot anymore. So I really just view myself as an artist. Um, I'll do anything. I'll write. I'll perform. I'll shoot movies. I'll film stuff. I'll produce commercials. I'll do video work. I'll do graphic design, logo design. Um, So really just an artist anymore. Anymore, just an artist. Yeah. I think it follows with how I've seen you progress over the years. And before, it was always, I'm a slam poet. And I'd always ask you then, it's like, well, what does that mean? Because I've got to be such a butt-headed person, be a traditionalist, and be like, I'm a writer. And you'd be like, I'm a performer. And so the idea now that you've even evolved from beyond that point is is fascinating. You're just encompassing it all. Do you feel like you have to with the internet now, this blessing that we have? You have to, but also you get to do all of the steps in your own promotion and your own production. 
I think it's really just something that you have to you have to really embrace if you want to take this from a business side of things um, and you want to you know make a living doing this kind of thing you do have to know your marketing you know how, you have to know contract law you have to know how to sit down and do negotiations promotion you have to be a jack of all trades you have to know how to do all of this stuff or it's going to end up costing you a fortune to have somebody else do it for you so from a business perspective it's absolutely necessary now if you just want to be a writer on the other hand or you just want to you know i want to put out a chat book i want to be local i want to go do some open mics and you're trying to have fun with it it's not necessarily you know as important to you know know all of these things but if you're trying to take it from a business perspective and you're really trying to expand what you're doing with artistry it's absolutely necessary anymore so you feel like your personal choice of degree is helping you? Oh, absolutely. Washburn um, has been an amazing <laughs> help with everything. Um, I'm a marketing and entrepreneurship major at Washburn, and just the things that I'm learning there and just applying to the real world, it's just, it's its incredible. It really is. It's thanks to Washburn, I'm really, I, I mean, they taught me so much on how to do all of this, and it's getting to the point where it's like I'm doing so much in business that going to Washburn is becoming difficult, but it's, it is really thanks to them and that education. I think it's important to note that, you know, you really come from very humble roots and I've seen this progression of you as an artist. I know I've been saying that throughout, but especially from what you've told publicly and what you've told to friends about like your upbringing, I think it's very important to let people know because you are a successful person that was not something that was given to you. This is something you've earned. So yeah, um, like I said earlier, um, I come from Leavenworth, Kansas. I lived out in the middle of nowhere initially. Um, after my parents got divorced, I lived right outside of Lansing Penitentiary, literally a prison in my bedroom window, and came out to Topeka and Washburn and really started building myself. It started, you know, going to every open mic that I could possibly find, uh, getting a paid show out in Salina. I met uh, Morton Christopher and Emery Derricks uh, here in Topeka. They came to an open mic that's a really awesome thing if you're in the local area called Speakeasy Poets. Uh, got brought out there, then got out to Wichita with Desmond. And it really expanded from there. That's where I met Black Ice was actually in Wichita. He brought me up to Chicago, ended up winning the National Award for Slam Artist of the Year at the time from the National Poetry Awards. Uh, did a lot over that course of the year. And then the National Spoken Word Awards, same organization. They just changed the name to be more inclusive of more genres. Ended up winning two more national awards. And a couple months later, signed my decade-long contract with e e Entertainment, which is Atlantic's sister company. And... It's just expanded crazily from there. We're doing a lot over the next couple months. And of course, Babylon is coming out. It's available for pre-order right now, mattspeciemusic.com. Um, and you're going to be able to listen to it on radio very, very shortly. We're starting a national radio promotion. It's already getting played in Ghana starting next month. Um, we're going to have it down in Atlanta very, very soon. We're going to have it out in Seattle, here in Topeka, um, out in Kansas City. So it's going to be everywhere. So you said the 10-year contract. Now, that was something I didn't know. That's, that's probably a recent development. Uh, yeah, I signed with them March 12th. Um, DJ Butterrock's the CEO of e and &E Entertainment and CX1 DJs. Um, they're partnered with Atlantic Records as their official sister company. And they signed me to a decade-long deal, uh, record distribution and management. Wow. Run me through this because I'm not super nuanced in it. With slam poetry and music deals... How does that work? Your stuff, do you do you consider it like a hip-hop rap hybrid? Is it poetry with music in the back? Like um, so I call it rap rhythm-assisted poetry. Um, it's it's hip-hop, but more conscious. It's, 
you know, the modern instrumentalisms that you like and that you listen to. I've heard so many people say, I listen just for the beat. I listen to the beat. I don't listen for the words. And I think the words are an incredible part of that. So I've just kind of flipped the process and made modern hip hop conscious again. And I call it rhythm assisted poetry. So do you have any future projects or events that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so I've really been plugging the Babylon album, and of course there's shows and radio interviews that come with that. So this is the first one of, honestly, a radio tour. We're doing quite a few interviews. We already have seven scheduled um, all over Kansas, and then uh, out in St. Louis right now we're going to be doing an Atlanta radio interview soon as well. Um, We're trying to do a ridiculous amount of shows in July. Uh, We're trying to do about 22 in 30 days. We're doing everywhere from Atlanta to Nashville, all over Kansas, all up the East Coast, Chicago, just a crazy amount of that. And of course, we're coming right here to Topeka, uh, July 28th at the Jayhawk Theater. I'm bringing E&E Entertainment up to Topeka, and we're going to do a huge blowout show. Um, We'll have a couple of local people, a couple of the national presences, and of course, uh, myself headlining it. So that's going to be a really awesome event to bring to Topeka. And hopefully we can get them, you know, on that national scale because this community has done so much for me. So they've brought me to the national circuit and put eyes on me. So I want to put national eyes on Topeka. So you say we. So who else would we expect to see on this tour? Um, so I'm going to be touring with Pumpkin Foot from Eni Entertainment. Um, she's kind of the converse of what I do, where I do really um, societal-based consciousness. She does uh, what I like to call intelligent strip club music. Mm. It's club music, but with stories, with you know emotion behind it. It's why am I going out and doing this? She makes really, really awesome music. Um, you can check her out at cx1djs.com. You can find myself there as well. And I'll be touring with her all through that, and we're seeing how far we can expand it. Uh, Right now, the July dates are our real focus, and uh, we'll be moving forward from there. That's an interesting way to put that kind of music, but I think I'm getting an idea in my head what uh, what that would sound like. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I highly recommend checking out Pumpkinfoot and all the CX1 DJ and E&E Entertainment artists. We're we're really doing something different. Actually, that's our motto. We do things different. And so just to round out this lovely interview, I would like to know if there's anything you'd like to perform for us before you leave. Um, sure. Since I was talking about perpetuality and that's off the Babylon album, um, I'll do that and give you guys the website one more time. And again, thank you so much for having me here today. We live in a nation of perpetuality. I'm not hating on my community. I'm just calling out the reality, the situation. There exists an institution that has been around for so long that I can sum up this country's history with one sentence. White people are dangerous. And I know that my skin matches their robes, but my steps towards change don't match their roads, and my convictions certainly don't match their words. So here I am. Fully aware that I cannot completely grasp the tribulations, but with empathy and understanding, I can stand with my hands placed heavenwards, not up in fear, asking for the absence of lead to be blasted, but flabbergasted. So I've pasted revolutionary fists in the air. See, I care enough to be rule number five, ready when they call on me. Armed with ill-gotten privilege and the knowledge of the inner workings of their system. See, I've witnessed that cruelty firsthand. Those walls of brick that resided a stone's throw from my bedroom window are apparently thick enough to conceal that they have replaced Jim Crow. Let me show you how! Whites for decades profited off of chattel slavery. Now they use a for-profit prison industry taking young minority men away from families, forcing single income. And since money talks, the poor remain silent. So they've effectively removed the First Amendment right. 
When you aren't free, they're free to carry out other nefarious plots. Why is this recycling a policy and oddity? Let's date it to the revolution. We went from white guys ruling to white guys ruling schooling moment a revolution is a 360 degree turn bringing you right back to the beginning we live in a nation of perpetuality i'm not hating on my community i'm just calling out the reality of the situation there exists an institution that has been around for so long that i can sum up this nation's history with one sentence White people are dangerous, and it's sad, but it's true that the powers we do entrust with the ability to govern have gathered in a coven that'll consistently leave the downtrodden with no chance to even be dreaming like an American. And the really messed up part is that they'll casually cause casualties by replacing a genealogy chart with steel, still misinterpreting a cell's purpose. They ask you to forget wiping away entire populations and their centuries of obsession with oppression. I ask you to remember, remember that inaction when brought face to face with evil is to accept it. So I choose to stand against it. I choose to speak against it and I choose to try to stop this cyclical sickle that slices these sides so unequal and end this American perpetuality. Maybe, just maybe, they'll listen to somebody like me. And if this made you uncomfortable, good. Because the truth often is. And that's that piece. Thank you so much for having me here today, y'all. You can find my music at mattspeziamusic.com. That's Matt, S-P-E-Z-I-A, music.com. Mattspeziamusic.com. The fact that you can remember all of those bars off the top of your head, that alone is talent. <laughs> it's the unseen hours. It really is. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. And it is now time to read from our listener submissions. From Bob McCain's, who would like us to know that he is the author of seven books of poetry. He has numerous poems published in magazines and e-zines across the globe. He's been writing poetry since 1965. Now this guy's a senior. He knows his stuff. Bob has conducted poetry workshops and related writing presentations for the Kansas Authors Club. We have four pieces of Bob's to read today. Convenience Buddha Went looking for one of those all night. Convenience-type stores. Ran out of smokes. Which is a big-time emergency, though I question the word convenience. You see them sitting on every damn corner. Convenient unless, of course, you need something. And then they vanish like some mythical beast imagined by a nicotine-starved brain. My thoughts alternate. Nicotine, cigarette, like stomping steps echoing in an empty hall. Naked light bulb dangles. Pretty habit, can't be distracted, but yet I try. Nicotine, cigarette, the blocks turn into miles and miles and miles. And my habit cries, brown, stained, tobacco, tears, nicotine, cigarette. Finally, salvation is in sight. One of them inconvenient convenience stores I focus to drown out the screaming nicotine cigarette, rush into the store, and there bent over the counter is Buddha, sweat running down the crack of his butt, nicotine cigarette. In a shaking voice, I ask Buddha, pack of Marlboro Reds, please. Buddha laughs and enlightens me. Sorry, son, we're out, but we do have cools. Color of the Universe 
The universe is beige, not black with a snap, nor blue crackle pop, but beige like an old suit hung in the dark reaches of a mothball-infested closet, amused at the sight of a moth with balls, possibly wondering if a pair could fly at all. I paint my walls in universal color, speaking peaceful harmony like the barbershop quartet, slightly off balance from too many pints at the corner pub and the wobble weaves, but the universe is beige. I contemplate if a pint of black and tan stout might better balance the fragile universe whose very existence is owed to the froth and foam of a properly poured head. In conclusion, I find, while the universe has holes, there is no bottom, no top, and no sides. Nothing but beige. Though for the life of me, I can't figure out what it really covers, but then until today, I never noticed the color. Empty Pockets The poet reaches into his pocket, one where new words are kept, to find the pocket empty, and he somberly remembers it has been for quite a while. So he heads to the closet to search all the pockets there, but all are equally empty, nothing but thinning air. Desperate for a speedy solution, he searches the jackets and coats. Occasionally he finds lost articles, but nothing resembling a word. Finally, there are no pockets left, no new words left to be found, and the poet's pockets so deep are empty and empty becomes profound. Secrets in the Leaves There is a stirring in the trees. Autumn's breath murmurs softly amidst the colorful leaves, a telling of the season's secrets. Spread from the dying leaf to stem, echoing within the wooden heart, carried from limb to limb. A hidden desire to always remember the what-ifs or might-have-beens, Dangled by a thread, buffeted by the winds, always there is another season and still more secrets left to tell. The leaves are forever dying as seasons come to an end. Generations upon generations, leaves fall on the ground, their secrets left unturned, bagged, buried, or burned. Lifeless piles of untold secrets. With so much left to tell, but a secret isn't a secret if the leaves give them away. Wow, thank you, Bob, for submitting such lovely words to the show. And thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. I really appreciate it. If you or anyone you know might happen to have a poem or two or five they might want to submit to the show, please send all submissions to tara.bartley at yahoo.com. That is T-A-R-A dot b-a-r-t-l-e-y at yahoo.com i want everything you have to give me salam gafor thanks for stopping by